Let us turn in the Word of God this evening to James chapter 5. James 5. We'll read the entire chapter this evening, and the text for the sermon is the 11th verse concerning Job. This is God's word in James 5. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were a fire, as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and have been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, Let your yea be yea, and your nay nay, lest he fall into condemnation. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. So far we read God's word. The text for the sermon is verse 11. Let's read that one more time. James 5, verse 11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. 
Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the word of God that we consider this evening from James 5 verse 11 is the concluding verse in a section in the fifth chapter of James on the subject of endurance and patience. That section begins in verse 7 and it begins this way, Be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. James exhorts the churches and the members of the churches to be patient. In order to encourage and help God's people to be patient, what James does is he provides two examples for the church to consider. The first example is found in the verse prior to our text, namely that of the prophets of the Old Testament. We read in verse 10, Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. It doesn't take very long to read the Old Testament scriptures and realize how true this was. Read the book of Jeremiah, for example, and you learn very quickly that the prophet Jeremiah suffered great affliction. He was mocked, he was ridiculed, he was thrown into a pit, he was imprisoned. He suffered, but God gave to him the gift of patience. The second example that James directs our attention to is that of Job. We read in verse 11, Ye have heard of the patience of Job. James begins this section by saying, Ye have heard of the patience of Job. He knew that the churches to whom he was writing were familiar with the Old Testament. And therefore, they were very familiar with the Old Testament saint, Job. And I believe the point of introducing this section this way, ye have heard of the patience of Job, is to say, ye have heard of Job's patience, now learn from Job's patience. And beloved, the exact same thing can be said of us today as the church of Jesus Christ. Ye have heard, I have heard, of the patience of Job. We know our Old Testament scriptures well, and the children here even are able to explain what Job's life was all about. This is something that we know well. And so the word of God to us tonight is, you have heard of Job's patience, now learn. Learn from the patience of Job as it is taught in this particular verse. And by the grace of God, that's exactly what we will do tonight. Let's consider tonight, learning from the patience of Job, we'll consider in the first place the suffering of earthly life, in the second place the patience of the believer, and then in the third place, coming from the beginning of the verse, the happiness of those who endure. 
I don't want to go into great uh, detail about this opening point that I'm going to make, but do want to start here to make one application from it. And that is the fact that we take as our position, of course, that Job was a real historical man who lived in the Old Testament time. There are those in the church world, of course, who deny that Job was a real man and that the events described in the book of Job were made up in order to teach a spiritual truth. We deny that. And we affirm that Job was a real man and that he went through real experiences exactly as they are described for us in the book that goes by his name in the Old Testament. We know from certain names that are found in the book and from certain places that are found in the book that Job likely was a man that lived early in the Old Testament period, likely around the time of the patriarch Abraham. Now, I said I don't want to go into great detail about that, but I do want to explain one brief application of that. And that is that that fact that Job was a real man who went through real experiences as they are described in his book has tremendous bearing upon what is the main point of the text tonight. And it has tremendous impact upon receiving the comfort and the hope that is derived from a passage such as this one. And beloved, this is what we need to know tonight. What we need to know tonight is that Job was a real man. We need to know that he went through real suffering. We need to know that God gave him truly the gift of patience. What we don't need to know is that this was just something that was made up. That this was just a myth or a fable in order to to teach us some spiritual truths about God and about our life. That doesn't have the impact that this is meant to have. That's not what would lead us to walk out of the sanctuary and say, okay, what about my life? What about the suffering I endure? And what about the patience that I need? I don't need to know that there's a story made up about this stuff. What I need to know is that a man actually went through this. And he was a child of God. And God gave him patience. And God led him through the suffering to the very end when he brought him home to glory. That's what gives me hope. That's what gives me comfort. That's what's used by God to encourage me to say, yes, God is faithful and God will lead me through the sufferings of earthly life. And so this is no small thing to maintain the historical nature of Job. We do that because it's true that he was a man, but we do that also because the comfort and hope derived from the history of Job, is partly dependent upon him being the real man that he was who lived in the Old Testament time. The focus of the passage from the text is upon Job's patience. And we're going to get to that in the second point of the sermon, but there is, of course, something that stands behind the fact that Job was patient. And that is 
the suffering that he endured. There is a need that believers have for patience, and that need for patience is on account of the suffering that we experience in this earthly life. We can, if we wanted to, go on and on and on about that suffering from the history that we know from the book that goes by his name. Let's hear the Cliff Notes version of it. Let's hear very quickly an overview of the suffering that Job experienced. Number one, five things. Number one, Job lost all of his material possessions. As we know, Job was an incredibly wealthy man. All of his wealth was wrapped up, especially in his livestock. And Job lost it all. Point number two, Job lost his servants. The Chaldeans came in several bands and killed the servants that Job had. And we can very quickly jump over that point and not think much about it and go to the next point that I'm going to make. But let's not jump over that so quickly because we need to remember that Job was an upright man, a godly man, and he cared about these people. They weren't just hired help to care for his animals and his estate. These were people that he cared about. And Job lost them to death. Number three, Job lost all of the ten children that God gave to him, his seven sons and his three daughters. While they were eating in the eldest son's home, the wind was sent and the wind caused the home to come falling down upon itself. And in that home were all ten of Job's children. What grief in one day that Job must have experienced when he lost the ten children that God had given him. We all understand that when we lose a close loved one or a child or maybe a, a, a set of parents in God's providence loses two children. And we say, what grief. And that is true. Job lost ten at the exact same time. The fourth thing that we can point to with regard to the suffering of Job was that he lost his own health. God afflicted him with tremendous physical sickness. So troubled was Job physically that when his friends came to give him the counsel, we read at the end of chapter 2 that they did not even recognize who he was. So bad was it. And that's a reflection of how brought low Job was physically. And we sometimes say that about someone, don't we? We say he doesn't even or she doesn't even look like themselves as a way of saying how sick they may be. He had boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And then we can add this fifth point with regard to the suffering of Job. And that is the fact that he experienced terrible counsel from his friends and even a difficulty with his wife. And that's part of what exacerbated what Job went through. 
He goes through all of this, and then he has his friends come to him, and they give him not the helpful counsel from the truth, but they are miserable comforters, especially in the main point that they were trying to drive home to Job, and that was that what he was experiencing was because of his particular sins and the judgment of God. And so what was already terribly, terribly difficult on account of just what it was, one through four, is made all the more difficult by this fifth point regarding the suffering of Job. We could go on and on if we desired to explain that. We don't need to. We understand what Job went through. But what is equally important is to reflect upon a couple of main points that describe what this suffering was and what it was not from the point of view of God and from the point of view of Job. And this, this is an overview of it that, that explains it in very important ways. And there's two things in this regard especially. The first is that God was absolutely sovereign over the suffering of Job. We have to establish that point. Because that, after all, is the main point of the book of Job. God was in control. Yes, there were other things involved. There was Satan. And the whole point of chapter 1 in Job is to establish the truth that God is sovereign over all of the workings of Satan. And yes, there was the Chaldeans and the Sabaeans that came in order to kill and to take. And yes, there was the wind that was sent that caused the house to go crashing down upon the ten children. All of that was true. The devil and the the Sibians and the Chaldeans and the wind. But all of those means were under the sovereign control and direction of God. We maintain God's absolute sovereignty over the suffering that Job experienced. That number one to explain an important point about this suffering he went through. And number two, now with regard to Job, was that he did not experience this suffering as the direct judgment and punishment of God upon his own sin. That's critically important in light of what we're going to come to in the second point of the sermon. That was the charge, as we mentioned a moment ago, by his miserable, comforting friends. And Job rightly defended himself against that charge. Not that he was a sinless man, but that what we read of him in the opening words of the book are true. He was an upright man. He was a blameless man. He eschewed evil and he loved God. In other words, Job was not living in hardened, impenitent sin. So that all that he went through was sent by God in judgment upon him for that hardened, impenitent sin that he was walking in. That was not true. That's what the friends were trying to tell him. And it wasn't true. The suffering that Job experienced, number one, was under the sovereign direction of God, and number two, was not the punishment and judgment of God upon Job for his particular sins. 
Beloved, the same reason that Job needed patience is the reason that we need patience. We need it because we go through the sufferings of this earthly life. I actually preached this originally at the occasion of a confession of faith at Granville. And one of the purposes of preaching this at a confession of faith, in addition to what we'll come to in the second point of the sermon about faith, is to lay before young people the fact that we need to be very clear in what life is about and what life is not about. Now, there are many youth, of course, that know this by experience, that life is hard. Many youth who are here tonight. But there's also a lie, an illusion that we need to guard against in our life. And it's a lie and it's an illusion that the world very much presses upon us, all of us really, and especially the next generation that's being raised in the world today. And the lie and the illusion is that life is easy and life is good. And that life is under your control. You set out to do what you want. And what life is all about is experiencing the pleasures and, the, and all that this world has to offer. And it's very easy to, to get sucked into that. Especially when you grow up in such a way that there is more than adequate means and there is time and there are great experiences and the relationships are very strong and well. And you can go through life and you can say, this is, this is what life is about. Life is about the here and now. Life is about its experiences. Life is about saying, this is what I want to do and I'm going to chart the path to do what I want to do. And it's all about the here and now and the experiences of this earthly life. And, and we can very easily get sucked into that. But then we are brought back to the Word of God, and when we really think about it, are brought back to our own life, and what we say is, no, the life of the Christian is hard. And deep down, we all know that. And to varying degrees, we all experience that throughout the journey that God leads us on, on our way home to heaven. Life is hard. And there are reasons that that's true. One of them is due to the context in James chapter 5, and that is the coming of Jesus Christ. We read that, that's the, the context in which we read of these ideas. Verse 7, be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. And verse 8, be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. And it's on account of that truth that the perspective of life must be, it's going to be one filled with affliction and suffering. We don't know what is in store for the children and, the, and the, our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren 30 or 40 or 50 years from now. And I suppose it's always been the case that there are parents and grandparents have said that about their children and grandchildren. What's it going to be like for them 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. But we certainly experience the spirit of Antichrist and we see the signs of the times and we see the increased lawlessness and we feel the pressure coming down upon us. And the point with this is that our perspective must be 
This is what's in store for us. This is what must be the perspective of the youth here tonight as they look forward in their life. As a Christian living in this world and as a follower of Jesus Christ to confess His name, to do what we're doing tonight, publicly worship God, may mean for me great suffering and affliction. And so we shouldn't be surprised by that. We should expect that. Because that's what it means to be a Christian living in this world. That's one of the reasons that this needs to be our outlook on life as believers. The other reason is exactly what we mentioned a moment ago with regard to the sovereignty of God. This needs to be our perspective very simply because God may be pleased in His sovereign good will to send afflictions to us in our earthly life. Having nothing to do with the judgment of God to turn me from my ways of sin. But having everything to do simply because God has determined this is what I am going to send to you. This is the path that you must walk on your way to heaven. And this is the path that those around you must walk with you on your path to glory. And that comes very simply because of God's sovereign will. And here's the thing with that. We simply don't know when it may come. Did Job have any indication of these things coming to him in his life? There's no indication in the book of Job that he knew this was coming. God simply said, this is what you are going to go through. And that may be the case for us when God simply leads us down a certain path. And so the question then, of course, is how do we respond to that? How do we respond when that relationship that we so desired to work out and be the end of marriage doesn't work out like we thought and hoped it would? How do we respond when that relationship that we desire to have never comes to fruition and God leads us down the path of single life? Upon being married, there's, there's the image in the mind and the hope in the heart, a good godly Christian hope of, of a family. And God says, no, no children for you. Or He says, you're going to have one child or two children and that is all your family is going to be. And how do we respond when the Lord is pleased, as we know very well, to take those who are close to us in His sovereignty? Or what can be so very difficult, lead those whom we love and care for deeply. Lead us down a path such that those around us that we care so deeply about walk in the ways of impenitence away from the Lord. The Lord in His sovereignty leads us down the path of affliction. 
And the point is that we need to be very clear in our minds that this is the reality of the Christian life. And therefore, in light of that need, in light of that reality, there is, of course, the need for patience. And so that's what we turn to now in the second point of the sermon, the patience of the believer. You have heard of the patience of Job. Now that word patience has as its main idea a certain strength and constancy and endurance. It's the steady resolve to put one foot in front of the other and keep on going. We have a very helpful image that we can put in our mind in this regard from Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. In Hebrews 12 verse 1 we read about running the race with patience. The race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. It uses the same word patience in connection with running a race. And that's the image that we can have in our minds. The steady resolve to put one foot in front of the other. And the type of race that we run, of course, is not the sprint. It's not even the marathon, it's the ultra-marathon. It's the one that just keeps on going and that truly requires the resolve to just press on. And it has the twists and the turns and it has the ups and the downs. It has the obstacles, it has the hardships. It's very long and so you go through all of the elements of the, the weather that can be sent and the difficulties associated with that. It's the hard, slow, long Run that requires patience. That's the idea of the word. Now Job in the passage is singled out as having patience. You have heard of the patience of Job. The Holy Spirit inspired James to, when coming up with the examples of patience, speak of the prophets, as we mentioned in the introduction, and also speak of Job. And of course, he would not have led James to say this unless it was true, in fact, that Job was a patient man. Of course, he had the gift of patience. We wouldn't read this, of course, if that was not true. I find that to be very striking because... What you see when you consider the book of Job is that Job was not sinless. He was a sinner. He was weak. And the sins and the weakness of Job comes through in the book in the Old Testament. And it comes through even in connection with the suffering that he experienced. It doesn't take very long to, to find that in the book. There's a very good beginning that we'll talk about in a little bit, but very quickly after that, Job is cursing the day of his birth. And all throughout the book, the struggle that Job experiences sinfully is that he's constantly inquiring of God why. He wanted an answer. He wanted to know why he had to go through what he went through. And God in the end would not say why, but God in the end leads Job to know one main truth, and that one main truth is that he as God is sovereign. But the point is that Job was not sinless. He had weaknesses. 
And they come through, even in response to the suffering that he experienced. But yet through that, he's identified as having the gift of patience. I find that to be very striking and also very helpful. Helpful from two points of view. On the one hand, helpful personally for each one of us as we go through the sufferings of earthly life. Because when we have a conscience that is informed by the Spirit, and when we are honest with ourselves as we stand before the Word of God, we all realize that when we face the sufferings of this earthly life, we don't do so without sin. It exposes weakness. It exposes sins. We all know that when we're faced with them, there are at times the struggles and the questions that we want from God answered and the bitterness that may come through and the difficulty on account of that. That's a reality that every one of us experiences. And God says in response to us tonight with that regard, I'm a God of grace. I'm a God of mercy. And all of your sins, all of them, and these sins too, the sins that may be present in response to the suffering you go through are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. What hope and what comfort that we have as we think about how we respond to the things that we have to go through in this life. Because the devil uses that. God sends this, but then we struggle with it and the, and the devil pounces and says, how could you be that way? And leads us down. And then we're brought right back to where we need to be brought to, the cross of Calvary, and to know that for all of our sins, the Lord is gracious to forgive. It's also very helpful, on the other hand, from the point of view of our walking with each other through this earthly life. As believers, when one fellow believer walks through the valley of suffering, we go right there with them down that valley. We better. We're called to. But as we do that, we remember this point. We remember that as we walk down that valley with them, we're going to see likely as they walk through that suffering, their weaknesses and their struggles and their even sins. And our response as we walk with them is not, oh, this is how you're walking now and you're not responding perfectly as you're supposed to. I'm out of here and I'm leaving because this is how you are. No, of course not. We know the struggles that we experience when we walk with someone through their suffering and it may expose their weaknesses, but we keep going with them down that valley. We're right there holding their hand and guiding them and directing them and leading them back to the cross and giving them hope. The point is that though there are sins, we still walk right alongside in long-suffering and patience with them. The whole idea here is that Job was patient, but he wasn't sinless. And from that, we learn a couple of important things. But he was patient. He was patient. And that's the point of our text. 
Consider the patience of Job. And the patience of Job is especially revealed in the confessions that Job makes throughout the book. The fact that Job, with patience, could press on. That he could put one foot in front of the other through the suffering as he continued to do in his life. The evidence of that patience, as we find it in the book of Job, is especially the confessions of faith that he makes in and through the suffering that he experienced in his earthly life. I'd like to point to some of those and read some of them. Five of them in particular as we find it throughout the book. These are the evidences of the faith of Job by which faith he persevered through the suffering. We'll start with Job 1 verse 21 where we read this. Well-known words. And Job said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave. The Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What an amazing confession that Job made. Right after the suffering, God worked in him and preserved in him faith. Faith in God such that he says, The Lord gave, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. A second example is Job chapter 2, verse 10. This is in response to his wife. He says in Job 2, verse 10, What shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. It's in the form of a a question, but really it's a confession of faith. Shall we not receive good at the hand of the Lord and also this evil? He's saying God has the right as God to send what he pleases in our life. A third example is Job chapter 13 verse 15. Job 13, verse 15. This is an astounding confession that Job makes. Job 13, verse 15. A confession of faith where he says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Though he slay me, though he bring me very, very low, though he do that, yet I will trust in him. Him. God preserved in Job that faith. And it's by that confession of faith that he perseveres in patience and in endurance. Another example, number four, is Job 19, verses 25 and 26. Job 19, verses 25 and 26. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Very early in the Old Testament, God's people knew that God was a God not of the dead, but of the living. And they knew that He was the God of the bodily resurrection from the dead. And in the midst of His suffering, Job was able to see that and confess that. 
Though this body is going to go to the grave and be eaten by worms, yet I know that in my flesh, in this flesh, I shall see God on the day of Jesus' return. What an astounding confession of faith by which he pressed on and persevered through what God had sent him. And then at the end of the book, at the end of the book, after the Lord did bring him to understand who God is, we read in Job, Job 42, verses 2 and 3, especially verse 2, these words, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. A confession of who God is. I know that he can do everything. Job was given the gift of patience, a patience and perseverance that arose out of his faith. And so to summarize this, beloved, the path of perseverance for the believer is this. It is number one, to know, to believe, to confess, and to live out of the knowledge that God is God. Beloved, you start there. If you can wake up in the morning by the grace of God and say one main thing, as you may face another mountain in front of you that you have to climb again in this day, if you wake up in the morning and are able to confess, God is God. By faith believe that. Know that. And because God is God, He knows what He's doing. And beloved, we don't want it any other way. In the end, we don't want it any other way than to know that God is in control and God knows what He's doing. We may not be able to understand it. We don't understand it. We can't put the puzzle together, so to speak, of why this and why that in my life on my path to glory. But I don't need to understand it perfectly. But what I do need to know is this. God's God. I don't want it to be that I am the one determining how I get from here to heaven. But God has determined it. And His way is right and His way is perfect. And so it starts there, the path of patience, the path of endurance, what allows us to see that mountain and take one foot and put it in front of the other and keep on going, is to know and to believe and to confess that God is God. Number two, it's to know, to believe, and to confess that that God is a God of love and mercy and compassion to me in Jesus Christ. This is what we read in our text. You have seen the patience of Job and the end of the Lord. That the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Those are two words that are basically synonyms emphasizing the compassion of God. It is to know that this Lord who is sovereign over the sufferings always is a God of compassion to His people. He's a compassionate God to His people, especially in the Lord Jesus Christ. And to know that, to believe that, and to live out of that is how we can keep going through the sufferings that we experience. 
Job experienced the fact that God was this God of tender mercy and compassion upon him. And it wasn't just this. It wasn't just what we know at the end of the book when God restored to him his children and his wealth. But from the very beginning, it is revealed in Job that this is who God was. A God of tender mercy and compassion upon Job in the midst of his suffering. Remember this. Remember, number one, the fact that the suffering that Job went through did not separate him from the love of God. It didn't rip him apart from his God. It couldn't. And the reason it couldn't is that Job was a child of God. Job was a child that God set his love upon. Job was a child that God sent Jesus Christ to die for. Job was a child that therefore would always be one of his children and always be the object of his favor and his love. It could not happen. This is the point. It could not happen that the sufferings that he went through would tear him apart from God so that in one moment he was one of God's children loved by and favored by God and the suffering in another moment led him to be separated from that. It couldn't happen. And that's the evidence of God's compassion and love and tender mercy upon Job through the suffering. It didn't separate him from his love. And so too for us. When you set your eye upon God and know number one, He is God. And number two, that He's a God of compassion and mercy in Jesus Christ. And you set your eye upon that cross and you see in that cross the tremendous, amazing love of God for me, an undeserving sinner. Then you know this. That mountain that you need to walk up again in that day, that mountain cannot do this to me. It cannot rip me apart from my relationship with God. You want to see the evidence of God's tender mercy and compassion upon Job through the suffering, not just the end, but through it? Consider the fact that he always preserved in Job the gift of faith. Now, it may have been a struggling faith at times, a weak faith at times, a faith that hardly manifested at times, but it was always there. And we saw the evidence of that. It was always right there through the sufferings that he went through. And he was able by that faith to confess the Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. He was able to say, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. He was able to say, I know my Redeemer lives. And that is the evidence of God's grace and mercy to Job. He kept in him that faith. And we see that in God's work in his children. He brings them through the suffering. And yes, Not doubting the reality that the faith may struggle. It may be weak. It may not exercise itself at times. But, it can't in the end be taken away from one of God's children. God will always quicken it. So that one is led to say and to believe. God is God. And say and to believe. 
Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. And to say and to believe, therefore, this mountain can't separate me from God's love in Jesus Christ. The path of patience, the path of perseverance is to know, number one, God is God. Number two, His love and compassion in Jesus. And to know, number three, to reiterate a point made already, that there is that end, which is the hope of the believer, the end of glory. That was a huge part of Job's patience. He knew the end of the believer was ultimately the bodily resurrection and life with God in the new heaven and new earth. And it's that very thing too, of course, that keeps us going. When we know that there is that victory in Jesus Christ, we press on through the sufferings of earthly life. In conclusion tonight, we consider the fact that there is the happiness of those who endure. That's the beginning of the passage. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Beloved, that's a remarkable thing that the Word of God says here. Happy are those who endure. And what that means is not just that they are happy who endure because after you go through all of the suffering, there is this amazing end, the greatest end of happiness, which is heaven and the new heaven and new earth. And therefore, the Word of God says, happy are those who endure. It's not just that. It is that. But it's not just that. Happy are those who endure. Happy are those who endure even in the midst of the suffering that they may experience in this earthly life. That, I believe, is what the truth of the text is. And that's because we can define happiness not as the world defines happiness. That's the lie. That's the illusion that we talked about. That the happy life is the life in which you have great means. When you have great experiences. When you are able to endure, experience all that this life has to offer. And if you have that, then you're happy. But we as Christians say, no, 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 no. That's not the, the biblical definition of happiness. The Word of God here is happy are those who endure. Because the truest sense of happiness is to know deep down, to know and to have the peace that everything is okay. To know and to have the peace that everything is okay because I have my God and I have my Savior and I have hope as it is found in Him. So that though this world may present to me a tumultuous ocean with waves that go up and down and are crashing all around me. Yet, I can sit in the middle of it on a firm foundation and say, it's okay. I'm going to be okay. And not only okay, there is even in me, in the deepest sense of the word, a certain joy. A joy that I have because I know 
the truth of the gospel, and I know God. And I know who he is to me. That's the happiness of the Christian. And that's reflected too, every single week, is it not? In the fact that we can come to the house of God on the Lord's Day, and we all come with varying degrees of afflictions and burdens. But we come here, and what are we able to do together? What we're able to do together is we sing. We pray. We praise as the expression of the heart of happiness and joy that we have in God. And the amazing, astounding thing about this is that sometimes we do that with the tears coming down our eyes, but we know our cheeks, but we know deep down, deep down we know it's okay. It's more than okay. Because I have the Lord, I have hope, and I have the God of my salvation in Jesus Christ. And so we can even take on our lips these words, Behold, we count them happy which endure. May God use this word tonight to encourage us in the path of patience and endurance. To wake up tomorrow morning, each with a certain path that we need to walk on. And know that the path of endurance is not to turn to the ways of sin, to know that it's not to turn to the trusting in self. But it's to wake up and to say again on Monday morning, God is God. He's my God. It's to wake up and to say tomorrow morning, Jesus Christ is my Savior. And God's love for me never faileth. It's to wake up tomorrow morning and say as a Christian, I have hope. Now I can press on. It's going to be hard. It always is. But I press on by God's grace with the gift of patience. May God grant that to us as we press on in our earthly lives. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for thy word of truth. We're thankful for the hope that is found in it. And pray that thou wilt use thy word as a power in our life again in this day. We pray that thou wilt go with us through this night and keep us in thy care through this week. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.